You are listening to the Dalton First United Methodist Church podcast. To learn more about Dalton First United Methodist Church, visit us online at daltonfumc.com. We hope that today's message from Pastor Stephen Usry inspires and encourages you. I always love First Sundays because that's a Sunday that we reserve for Holy Communion. I don't know if you might be new to our church, but each first Sunday of the month, we celebrate Holy Communion together. So in the next few moments, as we turn to the scriptures, I hope that we have a moment to prepare our hearts to receive and to experience the presence of Christ through that holy act. Inside your worship guide, in the very back of it, you'll find a a message outline. I always use a message outline. It helps me, but I pray it helps you. I've already heard from many of you who enjoy the message outline. And that message outline is there. I hope to help you remember the message beyond just the moment. I hope it is there to encourage you along the way. Um, You're invited to engage in whatever way you will, but there are pins located in the seat backs in front of you there. And there will be some scriptures that I'll be inviting you to underline some things and circle some things. There'll be some fill in the blanks. I just invite you to engage with that outline however you will. You know, today I want to talk to you about worship. Worship, this beautiful thing that we come to, that we get to do together, but maybe more importantly, this understanding of what God created us to be and to do. You were created to be a worshiper. And so I just want to talk to you about that for a few minutes. And there are many scriptures in the Bible that we can turn our attention to, to think about how we are worshipers and how we do worship together. You know, you'll notice at the top of your outline, a a simple question. And the question I want to pose to you today as we begin is this, why are people so excited around this place? Have you noticed the buzz? Have you noticed the happiness? Now, if you have your pen, I will invite you to answer that question. Before I talk too much, answer that question for yourself. Why do you think people are excited right now here at Dalton First? In the last little while, we've had meet and greets. We've had a, I've had a chance to meet many of you, not all of you. We've hosted meet and greets here at the church and at homes all over the place. And one of the questions that I begin every one of those meet and greets with is, What are you feeling? What's going on in your mind and in your heart? And you know, for many folks, I heard very similar types of answers. Why are they so excited in this place? I heard people say that they're filled with joy, that that they believe a new spirit is moving in our church. I've heard people use words like excited and happy and joyful again. I heard the word a lot, enthusiastic. That there's an enthusiastic spirit going on in our church. And one of the best answers that I heard was that someone in our meet and greet says that we are experiencing a revival of our spirits. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? A revival of our spirit here in the church. Now, what I want to tell you is whatever God is doing in our church, make no mistake, He is the center of it all. The reason we exist is to make much of Jesus. And so he is the very center, I think, of why that excitement, that enthusiasm, and that revival of our spirit is happening. A little while ago, I I read a little small book. I would encourage you to read it. I actually based the sermon title today on that little small book. The book was called The Dangerous Duty of Delight. 
Pretty catchy title, don't you think? The Dangerous Duty of Delight. And the author in that little small book said one of the greatest things that we are to do in this life is to delight in God. I mean, think about how many times the psalmist said, Delight in the Lord, taste and see that He is good. Have gladness in your worship before the Lord. And as I read that book, I, I thought about the title, The Dangerous Duty of Delight. You know, when it comes to worship, we normally don't think, we don't, I don't think we embrace that word duty, right? That we have a duty to worship. That it is our responsibility. It's something that we have, have are, are challenged to do and get after. But what the author was saying there, at the heart of it was, you were created for worship. You were created to delight in God. Now, by the way, every parent understands this concept. Every parent, every grandparent, we, we want our children to want to spend time with us, don't we? We, we hope that they have fun when they're in our presence. We, we hope they want us to, to be around us. That we hope that when they are with us, there is a certain element of delight, joy, happiness that they're experiencing because they're with us. Church, listen. Your heavenly Father wants you to delight in Him. He wants you to celebrate all the goodness that He brings to you and to your life and to your family's life. Delight. It's a neat concept, isn't it? Last night I was out to dinner with some friends and we had a feast. It was great food, all kinds of different dishes that each had their own flavor. It was a delight. And you could say in some ways that you delighted around this or that. Or, you know, certainly the brisket was a delight. There was a lot of different things that you could delight in in that meal. Guys, when we come to worship, here's the beautiful picture. That we should together delight in the Lord. That you have something to celebrate different than you have to celebrate. But together we all come to be able to feast upon the goodness of God together. And lift Him high in our worship. When I was a very young Christian, I ran across the Westminster Catechism. Have you ever heard it before? The Westminster Catechism I found to be very instructional because it was very simple. The chief aim of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. When I found that as a young Christian, it just made sense to me. I thought, wow, this is really the, the, maybe the grandest purpose of my life. To be able to glorify God, make much of God, and to enjoy Him forever. If you don't understand that, heaven's going to be a huge bore, okay? Because let me tell you, heaven is all about us worshiping and bringing glory to God and enjoying Him forever. The Apostle Paul was trying to get this across to a church that he was speaking to, and he said it this way. He said, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. If you have your pen, you might want to under underline those two words, living sacrifices. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. By the way, living sacrifices, that's an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? All right, jumbo shrimp, two words that don't go together. All right, a sacrifice is normally dead. It's not living, okay? Paul takes that word, he turns it on it, turns it on its head, and he says, You know what you're supposed to do? Offer your body as a living sacrifice on the altar, an offering unto God. 
This is your spiritual act of worship. You know, somebody said to me one time, you know, Pastor Stephen, that's, that's quite the image, isn't it? I said, yes, a living sacrifice. And he said, here's the problem with that, that image, Pastor Stephen. I said, what's that? He said, living sacrifices can crawl back off the altar, right? I mean, a dead sacrifice is going to stay on the altar, but a living sacrifice, I said, oh, maybe not today. I've got other things to do, right? Do you see what Paul is after? Paul is giving us this beautiful picture of our voluntary delight in offering ourselves to God as a living sacrifice every day. This is your spiritual act of worship. I found another translation. It was read today uh, from Romans chapter 12. One said a little differently. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. That is a beautiful picture of how we are to live every day as worshipers. So you see that next question I've got there in front of you. And I want to just, I'm pushing you a little bit here today, okay? What comes to your mind when you hear the word worship? I want to invite you just to take your pen and fill in that answer. What comes to your mind when you hear the word worship? For some of you, you might just have written a sanctuary, a choir, hymns. Others of us might have written Christmas Eve, you know, Christmas Eve service or Easter. Others of us might have written something as beautiful as a heart fully surrendered to God. I don't know what you wrote, but here's the beautiful thing about that question. I hope there's a thousand images that you have when you hear the word I think about the word worship, I think about moments that I've been driving down the road in my car just singing songs of praise to the Lord, sometimes crying out to Him. I think about moments standing on a beach and worshiping or, or maybe on the mountain. Maybe you think about moments where you've had a silence or communion like we're going to have today. The beautiful thing about worship, it is so multidimensional that when we think about worship, we can think about all these different facets of how we worship with our lives. So today, with just the next few minutes, I want to challenge you around five different ways to delight in the Lord. And I especially want to talk to us as a body because we gather here every week to worship the Lord together. This is our witness to the community of Dalton, and I want to talk to you as your pastor about how we do this thing called worship, okay, when we gather together. So if you've got your pen, I just want to talk to you about a few thoughts that I have about us delighting in God together. And the first one is simply this. We were created to worship together. We were created for moments like this when together we become this beautiful choir of prayer, of singing, of worship, of study. There's a beauty when we worship together. The Bible says it this way in two scriptures, Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. By the way, choir, thank you for leading us in worship today. You are the source of my strength. I lift my hands in total praise to you. This is the beautiful picture of how we're to give all of ourselves to worship. And then the writer of Hebrews said it this way, let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing. You know, even in the earliest days of the Christian journey, of the, of the way of Christ, 
in the earliest days, people were giving up. People were stopping meeting and worship. And the writer of Hebrews had to say, no, 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 that's not, that's not who we are. We were created to worship together. Do not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing, but instead, let us encourage, let's give strength, give heart to one another the more as we see the day of the Lord coming near. So listen, church, you might write in your margin. When I think about this aspect of worship, how we were meant to worship together, think about two dimensions of worship. One is private. You were created to be a worshiper every day, every moment of every day. Worship isn't something we just come to. Worship is something we do all the time. So when I think about our private world, I think about the word consistency. We should be worshiping our Lord consistently, every day, finding ways to make much of Him and lifting Him high. This is the beautiful picture of us doing this in our private worlds. In my mind, I like to think of the stories of the little shepherd boy, David, who would go off into the hills. Remember, he'd keep his, he'd keep his father's sheep. He would play songs, and he would write songs and hymns out, out there. He would worship, or he learned how to worship in private. When, when we worship our private lives, there should be this beautiful rhythm, this consistency. And then publicly, I like to think about this one. When we get together, there should be... Now think about it. If we were all little Davids, all worshiping all during the week, all by ourselves, each one of us worshiping consistently, when we get together, a bunch of us Davids, there ought to be, ought to be an explosion of worship. Don't you agree? We're together. Our worship, when we all get together, becomes this beautiful, vibrant thing together. I want to challenge you as we delight in God that our worship would be this beautiful explosion of vibrancy because you've been worshiping consistently in private. Here's the second thing I want to challenge you to do. Prepare your hearts for worship. We must prepare. There are stories in the Bible about how when people didn't prepare for worship, things did not go well. Just two scriptures uh, as a reference. 2 Chronicles chapter 12. Rehoboam did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And just another scripture that is there. Uh, the Bible says in, in, in Psalms, who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure. So I think one of the things we have to do when, when we're getting ready to come together as worshipers, to delight in the Lord together, is to make sure we have prepared our hearts to worship the Lord. Well, Pastor Stephen, how do I do that? You know, it's an awesome thing to worship our Lord. And so sometimes that might look like silence. Sometimes it might, might look like contemplation. Quite oftentimes for me, it looks like just private prayer, preparing myself to meet with God. Sometimes it looks like confession and repentance. Sometimes it looks like rest on a Saturday night because you've got church on Sunday morning, all right? And going to bed a little bit early so when you come together with the rest of God's people, you bring your best to worship. I can tell you for sure, though, for me, it always looks like this, arriving early. I grew up in a home where we were always late for worship. I mean, every Sunday. <laughs> Not only were we late for worship, worship was already going on when we walked in the door. We've been fighting the whole way just to get there, all right? You want to talk about having a hard time preparing your heart and your mind. We were with that, and I know you've probably been there before. I'm not alone. Shake your head up and down. You've experienced this before, right? You know what it's like to show up late and to be 
arguing on the way. And you also know what it's like to in that moment feel like your heart isn't quite in the right place. Like you really want to be the worship of the Lord. We were created to worship together. And there's this private consistency that we need to be doing every day. And this, this corporate vibrancy. We must come and prepare our hearts and not ever take our worship callously or, or with, without a lot of fault. Here's a third thing, and I'll go a little bit quicker. Prayer must be a priority. Prayer. The Bible teaches us that when God's people pray, God's presence envelops them and shows up. And prayer must always be a very significant portion of our worship. The Bible says in Acts, they met together continually for prayer. This is a beautiful picture of the early church. They knew the power of prayer and they just kept doing it, continually lifting up their prayers. For what great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord? Our God is near to us whenever we call on Him. Moses wrote those words in Deuteronomy, talking about how God is near whenever we call on Him. So when we gather together, our prayers need to be fervent and they, they need to be concentrated. And need, it's okay for us to have all kinds of prayer, but prayer is a big portion of our private and our public worship. And just two last encouragements. At the core of worship is always giving. I think sometimes we will allow our giving to be disconnected from the way we see our worship. But at the core of worship is always giving. That's the way it was in the Old Testament. That's the way it is in the New Testament. And we need to make sure we never let our giving be divorced from our understanding of our worship. Matthew 6, Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. It's this I, I, I have a little arrow on my mind from the word treasure to heart. It's this idea of where your treasure is, your heart will always be linked in. You know what this reminds me of? I, I, wanna, I wish I were there. When Jesus was sitting in a worship service, just like we're doing today, and you probably remember this story. A widow walked up and she gave her all. She gave the smallest little, the smallest coin that they had in their, in their economy. She gave a mite. For others, it wouldn't have meant anything, but it, for Jesus, it was a stop the press moment. The Bible says he called his disciples over and he said, look what just happened. You remember that? Look what just happened. She gave all she had. It's this beautiful picture of a widow's trust in God to be her provider and her worship, her faith-filled worship as she gave. Giving is always at the very center. And I'm not just talking about financial resources. See, we say the word giving and everybody thinks I'm talking about finances. I'm talking about giving of our energy and our time. Giving space and presence to God. These are very important things. And then finally, and this one's important to me. You probably already know it when I say it, all right? Number five, worship is a festival, not a funeral. All right? Worship is meant to be a festival, not a funeral. Have you ever been to church before and it seemed like every Sunday it was just a dirge? I mean, every key was in minor and, and it was is what I call bow ring. Have you ever experienced church like that before? Yes, you have. But let me remind you, church, you are an Easter people. You are a resurrection people. We live on the other side of the cross. We know that he has conquered death and the grave. And one of the reasons we worship on Sunday 
It's because that is the day our Messiah walked confidently out of the tomb and gave us life forevermore. So when we gather together, it's this beautiful picture of God's people celebrating in a festival of how he has saved us and redeemed us again. I like it how it says in 2 Samuel, David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs and harps and lyres and tambourines and systems and cymbals. It's this idea that they were having a party before the Lord celebrating him. And the psalmist said it this way, I will celebrate and be joyful because you, Lord, have saved me. You may not have even noticed. You certainly wouldn't have noticed if you arrived late today. But we began the service today by playing the background. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithless morning by morning, you mercies, I see. It's this beautiful picture where we gather together. It's once again a moment for us to worship the Lord with all that we have. And to with joy and gladness say, thank you for saving me. It reminds me of John Wesley who said, the Lord didn't just save me one time. He is saving me every moment of every day. So church, as I close this message, as we come for Holy Communion, let me just remind you of something. Your Father <coughs> wants you to delight in Him. May this week you worship Him with your everyday life. You're going out, you're coming in, you're working, you're playing. May your life be a worship song. And next Sunday, we've got to have together again. A bunch of days, and there'll be another explosion. A vibrant time to celebrate our world. Would you pray with me?